Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 51 this morning. Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 51. And I'm actually going to just give everybody a second to make sure people can log back on and all of that. So while we're doing that, turn to Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 51. I'm not going to read the whole thing up front like I usually, I have been as we've, the last few weeks I've been reading the whole thing and then starting the sermon. Um, I'm, I'm going to read it section by section this morning. Um, there's a lot, 51 verses. I actually was going to preach numbers 3 and 4, which would have been 100 verses total. Um, and somewhere in the middle of the week I came to my senses and realized this, that's not going to work. Um, so we're, we're doing just Numbers 3 this morning, verses 1 through 51. Um, one of the things that I've, I've had the chance to talk with you about on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and then as, you know, on phone calls or text conversations or this or that, um, one of the things we've, we've had a chance to talk about together is the fact that we um, feel weird we feel weird as we're going through um, this uh, coronavirus pandemic, through the through the stay-at-home orders, through uh, through all of this. Um, we we it's weighing on us. It's starting to wear us down. Um, we we feel discouraged. We feel stuck. Um, we start to feel like, like nothing really matters, and yesterday was kind of like today, and tomorrow's going to be basically like yesterday was. And We feel weird. It's hard when... Um, it's hard when you feel this way. It's hard to rejoice. We know that... Um, when we when we gather together, even on Facebook Live, when we gather around the gospel, and when we gather around the Word of God, when we gather to worship God, we should rejoice. We we know that when we pray uh, in our own personal time and we study the Word of God, and and as we try to encourage our family and and do devotions with our family, and as as, as we try to um, do these kinds of things, we know we should rejoice. We know we should worship God with joy, um, but we feel weird. We're easily discouraged. This chapter here, Numbers chapter 3, is going to help us. Numbers chapter 3 is like a teacher. We can think of Numbers chapter 3 as a teacher, and this teacher is going to help us this morning. And, and not just for while we're going through coronavirus stuff, because I... I, the, the one thing I don't have to tell you is that even when life was normal, what, whatever that means, even back when life was was normal and there wasn't a pandemic going on and there wasn't stay-at-home orders and there wasn't like this five-stage plan to reopen the economy, it, when, we, when we weren't thinking about all those things, even when life was normal, we still got stuck. We'd still get discouraged. We still felt weird. We're going to go through times like this no matter how good the outside world is going. So Numbers chapter 3 
is going to help us. Numbers chapter 3 is going to be our teacher, and it's going to help us to rejoice in God. No matter what's going on in our troubled world, no matter what's going on in our troubled heart, Numbers chapter 3 is going to help us. And like any good teacher, Numbers chapter 3 gives us um, visual aids. Visual aids. You guys know what visual aids are. Uh, There's something visual that aids you. And so uh, this is why I've always kind of been a good teacher. I've been able to break things down for people. A visual aid is uh, is a picture that helps us to, to learn a truth, to understand a concept. And this chapter is going to give us three visual aids. Number one, yellow lights. Number two, pinch hitters. And number three, unmarked bills. We have three visual aids in this um, passage this morning, in this chapter this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God and see our visual aids. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for technical difficulties, um, and we thank you for stay-at-home orders, and we thank you for slowly reopening the economy, and we thank you for all of these things, um, because we know that in them you are making us more like your son. And you are leading us to greater joy in yourself. We don't always know why you choose what you choose, but we know that you are good. We know that you are wise. And we pray that as we take a good look at the gospel this morning, that you will increase our joy. You will cause us to rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, gives us our first visual aid. First visual aid, yellow lights. Let me read Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It says, These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names... Uh, of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron, their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle." And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. This is our first visual aid. It's a yellow light. 
Numbers chapter 3 is going to give us a closer look at the Levites. It's going to give us a census of the Levites. It's going to give us a brief overview of what the Levites were supposed to do. It's going to, it's going to give us a, 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 a look at the Levites. And we're going to see these three visual aids. And the first one is yellow lights. For a normal driver, yellow lights mean slow down, right? I know some of us, when we're driving, we see a yellow light. That means, ooh, it's going to turn red. I've got to go quickly and you've got to get through that before it turns red. But for the normal person, yellow lights mean slow down. And this is what this, this set of ten verses does for us. It tells us to slow down. It reminds us of the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of Aaron. Aaron was a he, Aaron was part of the Levite tribe, but he had special status even within that tribe, and he and his sons were to be the priests. They were the ones, they were the only ones who could who could touch the, the, the holy altar. They were the only ones who, who could touch the sacrificial blood. They were the only ones who could who could explain the law to the people. They were the representatives of God to the people. They were the mediator between God and man. They had this huge responsibility, this vital responsibility. But they were also commanded to take it very seriously, very carefully. They couldn't be flippant. They couldn't be careless. They couldn't just do whatever they wanted to do. Nadab and Abihu learned this the hard way. These sons of Aaron, these priests, they were flippant, they were careless, they offered um, unauthorized fire to God, and they were struck down. They were killed because they were, they were careless with the holiness of God. They were careless with the word of God. And so now then, God gives to Aaron's family, he gives them the, the, the Levites. And these Levites are going to assist Aaron's family. They're going to assist the priests. And they're going to guard the tabernacle. And they're going to be this warning post to, to everyone who comes near to worship. When you go to the tabernacle and you take your sacrifice there for the priest to offer it and you go to worship God, you're going to see those Levites and you're going to remember, slow down. We can't just do this however we want to do it. We can't just treat God the, however we want to treat Him. We can't just decide which of His rules we're going to follow and which ones we aren't. God is holy. God hates Sin, the Levites are there standing guard so that the people don't forget. Slow down, take the holiness of God seriously, take the word of God seriously. This is the same for us when we look at Numbers chapter 3. And we look at these Levites and we see them standing there. We, we remember, slow down. The, the ministry of the gospel is a matter of life and death. Jesus was clear in the New Testament. He was clear with those false teachers. He was clear with them. He said, he said you, the, you who represent God to the people, you who profess to teach the word of God to the people, 
If you mishandle the word of God, if you lead people astray, it's like you're tying rocks around their neck and throwing them in the river. This is a matter of life and death. This is like you're opening up the door of hell and ushering people in. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if me, if I, if I Steve Ron, if I stand up on a Sunday morning and, and I imply or I hint or I allow for some other way to be right with God, some other way for the wrath of God to be appeased, some other way for people to be forgiven of their sins, I am playing with fire. It is a matter of life and death that we get this right. That the word of God is handled appropriately. That the gospel is is um, declared accurately. We can't mess around with the word of God. The truth of God's grace and glory and holiness. Those Levites are there to to remind us to slow down. We can't just go rushing in. We can't just go bumbling in. We can't just do whatever we want to. And, and this is so good for our joy. This will cause us to rejoice in authentic ways. And perhaps you're wondering, how? How does this help us to rejoice? This just causes us to tremble. I, I promise you, that until you tremble, you will never really rejoice. That until you start to understand the holiness of God, you will never understand the love of God. Ever. And that the more that we understand just how much God hates sin, that's when we start to get a bead on just how much He loves us. That's when we start to get an inkling of just how much He loves us. When we start to understand just how much wrath God has for sin, that's when we start to understand just how much Christ endured to bring us in. This warning, this yellow light, this visual aid is here to help us to rejoice. Visual aid number two, we have... Pinch hitters. Number one was yellow lights. Number two, pinch hitters. I'm going to read all the way from verse 11 through 41. Now, a lot of what I read this morning um, is going to cover like the the responsibilities that the Levites had, and and we're not going to get into the, their responsibilities. Um, in depth this morning, because those responsibilities are further described in chapter 4. They're like unpacked in greater detail in chapter 4. So we're going to spend time next week thinking about the responsibilities of the Levites and what, what that means for us. Today, however, I just want you to see that the Levites had to serve in the temple, or in the tabernacle, rather. They had to. Because when God, when God rescued the people out of Egypt, when God rescued the people out of Egypt, he um, punished Egypt, and, and he rescued his people simultaneously. He punished Egypt by destroying the firstborn from every 
family. The firstborn son from every family died. This is the last and the greatest plague upon Egypt. Because of Pharaoh's rebellion, because of his hardness of heart, because he refused to acknowledge and obey the word of the Lord, this was the last and greatest plague upon Egypt. And that night, when, when, God, when God killed the firstborn of all the houses of Egypt, he passed over the firstborn sons of Israel. They killed the Passover lamb, and they, and they put the blood on the doorposts. And when the angel of the Lord saw that blood, he passed over their houses. He, he did not destroy those firstborn sons. And so as God was rescuing his people this way from Egypt, he said to them, because I have because I have rescued your firstborn sons, because I have given them life, allowed them to live, I'm, I'm going to consecrate them for myself. They will belong to me. They will have to give their lives in service to me. But then, God decides in his grace and in his wisdom to instead of taking the firstborn son from every family, from every tribe of the people of Israel, and having that son serve him in the tabernacle, what God did instead was take all of the sons of, of the Levites. Every single son born to the Levites would take the place of the firstborn sons of Israel. And that's what we have here in verses 11 through 41. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine, I am the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by fathers' houses and by clans. Every male from a month old and upward you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi, Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their clans, Libni and Shimei. And the, and the sons of Kohath by their clans, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzeel. And the, and the sons of Merari by their clans, Mali and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites by their father's houses. To Gershon belonged the clan of the Libnites, and the clan of the Shimeites. These were the clans of the Gershonites. They're listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west. And Elisaph, 
the son of Lael, as chief of the father's house of the Gershonites, and the card duty of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the hangings of the court, the screen for the door, and the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and its cords, all the service connected with these. To Kohath belonged the clan of the Amorites, and the, the clan of the Izharites, and the clan of the Hebronites, and the clan of the Uzielites. These are the clans of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and upward, there were 8,600 keeping guard over the sanctuary. The clans of the sons of Kohath were there. There were 8,600 keeping guard over the sanctuary. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the, the clan of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle with Elizaphan, the son of Uziel, as chief of the father's house of the clans of the Kohathites. And their guard duty involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen, all the service connected with these. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the, the priest, was to be chief over the chiefs of the Levites and to have oversight of those who kept guard over the sanctuary. To Merari belonged the clan of the Malites and the clan of the Mushites. These are the clans of Merari. Their listing, according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward, was 6,200. And the chief of the father's house of the clans of Merari was Zeriel, the son of Abihail. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle, and the appointed guard duty of the sons of Merari involved the frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, and all their accessories, all the service connected with these, also the pillars around the court with their bases and pegs and cords. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel, and any outsider who came near was to be put to death. All those listed among the Levites whom Moses and Aaron listed At the commandment of the Lord, by clans, all the males from a month old and upward were 22,000. Remember that number, 22,000 Levites. And the Lord said to Moses, list all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names, in verse 41, and you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So what we have here is we have God substituting the Levites in. God had every right to draft every firstborn son of Israel and, and, and have that firstborn son work in the tabernacle all the days of his life. But God didn't do that. He kept the families intact, and instead, he took the Levites. He took the Levites. And so, every time now, every time a dad takes his son to the tabernacle. Every time a, a, a dad from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Reuben or the tribe of Simeon takes his son to the tabernacle and takes the sacrifice for the priest to offer, that dad sees that Levite there and that dad remembers 
that God has, God has, for one, rescued his firstborn son from death in the land of Egypt by, by accepting a Passover lamb, the blood of a lamb instead. And he also remembers that God has provided a substitute for, for a lifelong service so that his son can stay with the family. The son can stay with his tribe. The son, the, the son doesn't have to be taken. That Levite has taken his place. Every time, every single time, that that Israelite dad went to worship at the tabernacle and he saw that Levite there, he saw our second visual aid. He saw a pinch hitter. You guys, back a long, long time ago, we used to have sports in this country. Um, this, was, this was a long time ago. Some of you don't remember these days. We used to have sports in this country. One of them was a sport called baseball. Grown men um, would wear matching clothes and they would take a, a professionally carved piece of wood and they would try to hit a ball as hard as they could. And if these grown men in matching clothes were really good at taking this professionally carved piece of wood and hitting the ball really well, they were really good at it, they'd get paid millions of dollars because America. And, and so anyhow, in baseball games, often what would happen is the, uh, the manager of the team would send in a pinch hitter he would say, I'm done with this player, I'm bringing him out, and I'm putting this player in. That's what, the, that's what that, that dad from the tribe of Judah, that, that dad from the tribe of Naphtali, that's what he saw when he saw the Levite. And this is what we're to see as we look at Numbers chapter 3 as well. When we look at Numbers chapter 3, we're to remember we needed a pinch hitter. We needed a substitute. We need a, a, a Passover lamb. We need, we need a lamb whose, whose blood will be spilled for our sins. And, and, and we need someone who will perfectly obey the Lord in our place. And the Old Testament shows us, as it unfolds, that these lambs and these Levites, they're just, they're just broken, imperfect shadows of what was to come, of who was to come. You and I have a perfect pinch hitter. Jesus did what we could have never, ever done Jesus did what God's holiness demands that we do, but we could never have done it. He lived a life of perfect, obedient service to God the Father. He took our place. He subbed in for us. And he did what we could never have done. And he, and he was our Passover lamb as well. He died so that we wouldn't have to. So when we look at Numbers 3, and we slow down, we see that yellow light, and we slow down, and we take a good look at Numbers chapter 3, and we take a good look at the holiness of God, and we take a good look at these Levites, let's see our pinch hitter taking our place.
Take a good look this morning. It will help you to rejoice. And then finally, our third visual aid. So visual aid number one, yellow lights. Visual aid number two, pinch hitters. And visual aid number three, unmarked bills. This probably is coming from the fact that I've watched too many movies with hostage situations. I don't know. But unmarked bills. Verse 42, So Moses listed all the firstborn among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded him. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names, from a month old and upward, as listed, were 22,273. So we've got a little bit of a problem here. We've got, we've got a, a pinch hitter shortage. There are 22,000 Levites, and there are 22,273 firstborn from the rest of the tribes. We don't have enough subs. We don't have enough pinch hitters. Verse 44, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel, over and above the number of the male Levites, here it is, here's God's solution. Verse 47, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of twenty geras, and give the money to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary, and Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord, as, they, as the Lord commanded Moses. So you got 273 extras, you don't have enough Levites for them, you have to pay. You have to pay the redemption price. And this is, uh, this reminds me so much. You want to see your son? You want to see your son? I need a briefcase, unmarked bills. This is what we have here. We have these firstborn sons being redeemed. We have an exact price being paid. And I just want you to stop this morning and remember. I just want you to stop and I want you to remember that, that there was an exact price on your head. If you, if you are going to be free, if you are going to be free from the penalty of your sin, if you're going to be free from the power of your sin, if you're going to be adopted into the eternal, joyful family of God, if you're going to escape the hell that you deserve, there is an exact price that needed to be paid. As we look at these Old, Old Testament dads, and it's so hard for me as a dad not to get like not to get like really personal and emotional thinking about these dads scrounging up this money so that they can keep their family intact, keep their sons with them. It's just it, it, it's it's a little bit oh it's a little bit too much for me emotionally. You think about this. You think about this exact price that had to be paid. 
And then you remember, I can't pay. I can't pay the debt that my sons and daughters owe. There's no way my dad could have paid for my sins. I, I can't even pay my own. There is an exact price on my head, and it was way more than what I could come up with. In the book of Numbers, these dads paid an exact price so that their firstborn son could go free, so that their beloved son could go free. These dads paid an exact price so that their beloved son could go free. For you and for me, God the Father paid an exact price so that we could go free. And the price was his beloved son. I hope that you've believed that. I hope you've believed that. I, I, I hope you understand this morning. I pray that you understand that God's holiness, God's, God's right to demand glory and honor and obedience from you because He is your Creator, because He has formed you, because He has given you life, because He is continuing to give you breath, I hope you understand the debt that you owe because of your sin against your Creator that His holiness demands. I I, I hope and I pray that you've understood that and that you, by God's grace, have understood that Jesus Christ is the only way. His perfect life in your place he is the only possible pinch hitter. He's the only one who can live, live the, the holy life that we should have lived, that God demands. He's the only one able and willing to do it. And He did it. He lived a life of obedience in your place. And He died as the spotless Lamb in your place I hope you believe that. I hope you're trusting Jesus Christ to be forgiven of your sins, to have your debt paid. Please believe that. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. And and then if you are a believer, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, I think Steve did it again. I think he just like preached a three-point sermon, but all the points were Jesus. Like, I, he seems to have, like, one trick. Maybe you're thinking that. And you're right. The gig's up. I don't know. All we got is Jesus. That's what I got. That's what I have. I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. I don't know what the next few weeks are going to be like, and I don't even know all of what you have faced these last few weeks. I know what some of you have faced, but I know we have stuff going on inside of us, and, and, and I know it's hard for us to rejoice, and I know we're weary. And I don't, I don't even know how I sound right now. I'm not listening to myself. I may sound... Who knows how I sound? 
but I know God is bigger than technology. I know the gospel brings joy in the midst of all kinds of stuff, inexpressible joy, full of glory. So this is why, yes, you're on to me. Every point was Jesus. Yep. Because Numbers 3 is our good teacher with good visual aids telling us to to look to Jesus, the, the founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and right now he is seated at the right hand of God. Look to Jesus and rejoice. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for... I, I thank you, God, right now, specifically, I thank you for the people who are hanging with us this morning, who are, who are uh, looking at their phones, they're looking at their computers, they're, 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 they're staying with us because they want to honor you, they want to rejoice in you, they want to continue to believe the gospel, they want to encourage each other, they want to encourage me. I thank you, God, for your great grace to us, and I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for a chance to look to him, and I thank you for giving people like me a second chance to rejoice, and and a million reasons to do so. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.